Abrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, Lord. We thank you that we are able to gather this evening. Father, I thank you that we are able to gather here at our own property tonight, uh, albeit not under the circumstances we normally would like, but Father, we get to gather together here at the Congregation Mein Chaim property under our sukkah. Father, we thank you that you have given us the ability to put together this huge sukkah every year. Uh, Father, we thank you that it, it looks like next year we'll have to expand it even bigger as we continue to have more people become a part of this community. Lord, I pray that as we uh, open your word this evening, as we dig into the reality of Sukkot and your word, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word heard, your voice received, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. Father, I pray that you'll breathe new life into us this evening and that as we leave this place uh, tonight or this weekend, uh, those that are staying uh, on property, camping out this weekend, as we leave here, Father, I pray that we leave transformed, transformed in the power of your might and your presence, ready to take your resting presence in our midst to the, boldly to the world around us, that many hearts and lives will be touched by you. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. Amen and Amen. If you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up this evening to Deuteronomy <laughs> chapter 16, uh, beginning with 13, verse 13. So tonight, as we've said, we are celebrating uh, the beginning of Sukkot. This is Arab Sukkot, the evening of Sukkot. This is a high Shabbat of Sukkot. The first day and the last day of Sukkot, or the particularly first day and seventh day of Sukkot, are Shabbatot. They are special Sabbaths above and beyond the weekly Sabbath. This year, it happens to fall on a weekly Sabbath as well, which uh, is great because that means less extra services and messages and time and process put into building out services for us, which is great. Um, it makes life a lot easier. But nonetheless, it falls on a weekly Shabbat, which means as we celebrate Arab Sukkot this evening, we have more of our mishpacha that are here because it's a weekend. And they're not having to dance around work or whatever else is going on. And tomorrow, as we continue the celebration of Sukkot and our Shabbat service here under the Sukkah, we will get to see even more of our mishpacha join with us. And so it's a really exciting time. Sukkot's one of those weird times, though, because it's a, a, a feast in which God commands us to basically build a bunch of shanties in our backyards, or as we do here at the synagogue, uh, uh, we're to build basically these shanties, these lean-tos, these um, temporary dwelling places. They're specifically to be built in a factory that they theoretically could easily fall over. Why? Because they're supposed to be temporal. They're not supposed to be something permanent. And many of you heard me talk before about the reality of the Mishkan or the tabernacle versus the Beit HaMikdash, the, the holy temple uh, that stood in Jerusalem. And, and albeit, I absolutely believe that God ordained the building of the temple and that there was a purpose to it, a, a prophetic reality to it. And there's a prophetic reality to its rebuilding. Uh, the reality is, is that what God commanded his people to build was a tabernacle a temporary dwelling place in which he was able to dwell in our midst no matter where we went. And if you pay attention to Israel pre the building of the temple in Jerusalem, whenever they went to battle, the presence of God went with them. The ark was carried with them. Whenever they journeyed, the ark was carried with them. The presence of God went with them. And when Solomon finally built the temple that his father wanted so terribly to build for God, because David said, God, how is it I live in this glorious palace, but here you live in this tent out back? How is this okay? No other, no other nation has a, a tent for their God. They've got these huge palaces, these huge temples, and I want to build a temple for you. Which, by the way, the Torah tells us not to try to be like everyone else around us, right? 
So he says, I want to build this temple for you. And he says, no, no, you can't do it. There's too much blood on your hands, but I'll let your son do it when he becomes king. So Solomon becomes king and this temple is built. And from that point forward, every time we went to battle, we waved at the presence of God when we were leaving behind in the, temp the temple. And we went to war. Every time we journeyed, we waved goodbye to the presence of God and we went on our journey. Every time we went everywhere and we told God, we'll, we'll come back to you. We'll make our way back. Whereas what God wanted to do was to go everywhere we went at all times. He wanted to be a part of our life, a tangible reality in our life. And so as we celebrate Sukkot each and every year, we're celebrating with this recognition, this understanding, this mindset that these, these shanties that we build, these, these lean-tos, these tents, whatever they are that we're building, they're not here just for us to have something cool to hang out and have dinner under or to sleep under or whatever else, but they're here to remind us of the reality that we serve a God who is active and wants to be active in our lives, who wants to journey with us to, to rest in our presence. He wants his Shekhinah, his divine glory, very literally his divine rest to be in our midst at all times. So if you have your scriptures, Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 13, you are to keep the feast of Sukkot for seven days after gathering in the produce from your threshing floor and wine press. So you will rejoice in your feast. You your sons and daughters, slave and maid, Levite and outsider, orphan and widow within your gates. Seven days you will feast to Adonai your God in the place he chooses. Because Adonai your God will bless you in all your produce and in all your work of your hand. And you will be completely filled with joy. Now, one of the names that we have for Sukkot is Zaman Simchatenu, a time for our rejoicing a time for our joy. And when we look at Sukkot, the, there, there are a couple of names. You've got Sukkot, you've got Zaman Simchatenu, you've got uh, the, the time of the ingathering, the feast of the ingathering, and, and so on and so forth. But something really stood out to me this year about that idea of Zaman Simchatenu, a time of our rejoicing. I mean, I don't know if you guys have paid attention to the world around us this year or not. Um, it's been relatively messed up. Relative is a relative turn. It's been pretty messed up. I mean, everything across the board has been messed up this year. Every single aspect of it, right? Uh, thankfully, leading up to Sukkot this year, for two of the last three years, we had to cancel most of our Sukkot uh, plans and celebrations because of hurricanes rolling in. Uh, three years ago, we built a sukkah. This is actually the second year that we've used this particular one. Three years ago, we built a sukkah. It took us three days to build it and decorate it and get it ready for our Arab Sukkot service. We had our Arab Sukkot service under it that Saturday morning uh, or Friday night. We had an Arab Shabbat dinner under it. Saturday morning, we uh, uh, had our oneg under it after service. And then immediately after oneg, we had to break the entire thing down in like 20 minutes. So it took us three days to build it and decorate it. In like 20 minutes, three days into Sukkot, we had to rip it all down because that evening a hurricane was coming through. And thankfully we broke it down because it wouldn't have stood. Um, so it was a good thing that we got on that. But, uh, and, then, and then last year, we ended up having a, another storm that came through. And I can't remember if it was a tropical storm or a hurricane, whatever it was. We were able to have our Arab Sukkot service under the sukkah. And we were able to gather one other time during Sukkot under the sukkah uh, just to hang out and, and, and spend time together in fellowship. But our camping had to be canceled. And all of that kind of stuff under the sukkah had to be canceled. We were able to leave the sukkah up because it was this beast. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we had to cancel our stuff. So this year, as we're watching the Atlantic and we're watching all of these storms build up, right? At one point there were, I think it was like 13 or 15 storms 
active storms that were raging in the Atlantic and in the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean. Uh, leading up to Hurricane Sally coming through here, which left its footprint in our wake, in our way quite a bit here at the synagogue. Um, but nonetheless, we had all these storms and we're watching as the coach rolling around and we're going, <laughs> oh, again, this will be interesting. <laughs> so then thankfully this last week, if you paid attention to your hurricane trackers in LA, this last week, the Atlantic has been like dead. There's been nothing going on. Out of nowhere, we went from like 13 or 15 storms, active <laughs> storms in the Atlantic, the Caribbean, and the Gulf of Mexico to nothing, nothing at all. And it was great. And now there's a couple of things playing around out there, but hopefully they don't come this way because we've had enough this year and we don't want any more. But nonetheless, uh, it looks like we're going to make it through Sukkot clean and, and, and easy with no real issues. Baruch Hashem, and, and may he continue to bless us in that way uh, even more so. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but it's not miserable out tonight, right? Uh, the last couple of years, it's been hot. Uh, when we gathered for Sukkot under the Sukkot. It's been hot. Tonight it feels good. And it's supposed to get cooler as the evening goes on. And, and through the weekend, it's supposed to be really nice out all weekend long. And there's, I mean, it's the Gulf Coast. There's always some sort of a chance of rain, but there's next to no chance of rain theoretically. So uh, hopefully this whole weekend's going to go off without a hitch. We're going to have a great time together and celebrate Sukkot and, and be able to fellowship together. And it'll be awesome. But I don't know about you, but that idea of Zaman Sibchatenu, see the, the way that it's worded here is he says that, uh, that, that uh, verse 14, so you will rejoice in your feast, you, your son, your daughter, but he doesn't stop there. You, your son, your daughter, your slave, your maid, your Levite, your outsider, your orphan, and your widow within your gates. In other words, everyone who is a part of the community of Israel. And when we talk about the body of Messiah, we recognize that Jew and Gentile alike and the blood of Messiah are grafted into the commonwealth of the nation of Israel. Right? God didn't start something new. He didn't, he didn't end his relationship with the Jewish people. He didn't end his relationship with Israel and start something new. Instead, he took all of those bought by the blood of the Lamb and he grafted them into the root and the fatness of the olive tree, which is the commonwealth of Israel. And so here, what we see in the body of Messiah in living these words out as a messianic synagogue is we get to live out the literal reality of these words. As he says, you are to rejoice in your feast. You, your son, your daughter, your slave, your maid, your Levite, your outsider, or your orphan, your widow within your gates. In other words, every single person who is a part of the commonwealth, the community of Israel, is to celebrate uh, Sukkot, and you are to do it with great rejoicing, with joy. And at the very end of this, in, in verse 15, he says, and you will be completely filled with joy. I don't know about you guys, but I need that. This has been a really, really rough year for a lot of people. And as the rabbi of congregation, Maim Chaim, I don't know if you guys know this or not, I'm one of the youngest rabbis in the Messianic Jewish movement. Uh, that's, that's not to brag about it by any means, because I'm really not that young anymore. I'm, I'm quickly and, and, and rapidly moving outside of the realm of young. But nonetheless, I am one of the youngest. I think there's one that's younger than I am, significantly younger than I am. Uh, but, but I'm one of the youngest rabbis in the Messianic movement. Although I have a ton of experience from uh, you know, helping plant and lead congregations in Alabama and Florida and Georgia and New York and uh, being a part of conferences and running conferences, all this kind of, I mean, I've, I've been involved in all kinds of stuff for the better part of the last 25 years. But this year, by far, has been one of the hardest years in ministry that I've ever experienced. The last three weeks, two and a half weeks, 
has been the most stressful time. Some of you heard me talk about this, I think, on, on Arab Yom Kippur for our Kol Nidre service. This last two and a half weeks, three weeks, has been one of the most stressful periods I have ever experienced in my life. I waited tables for the better part of two decades, waited tables and bartended, and I never got stressed out. I made a decision waiting tables and bartending that I was never going to be ran by my section, I was going to run my section, and that was it. And when I made that decision early on in my career in restaurants, I never had an issue from then out. My section ran smoothly. Now, does that mean everything went perfectly? No, but I didn't let it ruin everything for me either, right? And so this has been, in, in consideration of the fact that I spent better part of, I think it was 16, 17 years in restaurants, working in some of the most ridiculously fast-paced restaurants in the, the country. I worked for a TGI Fridays in New York that did almost $400,000 every single week in business, every week, which in restaurant terms, that is a stupid amount of money coming through that place, which also means a stupid amount of people coming through that place. <laughs> Some of those people were also stupid, but that's a different story. Uh, but nonetheless, nonetheless, the reality was that, that those were, were, reality is most people I worked with were constantly stressed out. But me, this last two and a half, three weeks has been ridiculous. We have been running 90 to nothing since the hurricane. Whether it be trying to check on, call, text, reach out to you, drop by, whatever it is, every single person we could possibly think of whoever had anything to do with this congregation to make sure everybody was okay. Running stuff to supplies and, 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 and equipment and stuff to people's houses to help them out. Uh, trying to deal with all of this. Uh, uh, trying to find a new place to meet temporarily, trying to get everything arranged. We came in uh, this past week, I think it was Monday, I had a meeting with the crew that's going to be handling the interior of the synagogue, and they said, hey, so it looks like we're going to be able to start demo next Monday. Right? This was this past Monday. We're going to start demo next Monday. And I go, great. That means that I've got a couple of days to figure out how to empty out these buildings of everything that we have so that they can come in and do what they have to do. So uh, Danielle and I had a trip that was planned for the middle of this week. We're going to just get away for a couple of days. And by planned, I mean we planned it after all of this happened because we had to get away to try and like, I, I jokingly called it our mental health break. We had to get away just to figure out how to breathe again because it's just nonstop one thing after another. So we had this trip planned and we had to cancel it because now we've got to spend that time figuring out how to empty this place out, figuring out how to make arrangements with the school that, that rents from us so that they don't get disrupted too much in this process, figuring out how to get everything up and rolling. Wednesday, we were in here emptying out the building and all of those that came out and helped, thank you so much. You made it so much easier uh, and, and made a huge, huge uh, imprint on what was happening. We quickly ran and found storage, which by the way, after a hurricane is apparently a difficult thing to do. Went and found storage units and, and got everything situated so that we could uh, move everything over. We moved as much as we possibly could on Wednesday. Yesterday, we were out here decorating the sukkah and trying to get everything situated and ready out here and running around today trying to get everything uh, needed for you guys to eat that we're camping out and that we're coming to hang out and spend time with us this weekend and, and get everything going. It's just been one thing after another nonstop. And then I was preparing for the message and I came across this passage, which is part of what we read during Sukkot and it's part of the command of how we are to celebrate Sukkot. And I, it, it just hit me. So you were to rejoice in your feast and you will be completely filled with joy. I don't know about you guys, but stressful seasons are not joyful. Stressful seasons are painful. I mean, 
violently painful. It's hard to process. It's hard to deal with. We've experienced loss as a congregation, whether that be people that were extremely close to us leaving the congregation, people that were integral to the congregation leaving under this circumstance or that circumstance, unexpectedly leaving the congregation. We've dealt with loss of, of, of life with people that were very near and dear to our hearts in our congregation that, that uh, passed away to, to cancer or to uh, uh, various illnesses and so on. We've dealt with a lot of these problems and None of these seasons are joyful at the core of what they are. But the reality is, is when God is resting in our presence, there's a joy that's unspeakable. There's a joy that's unimaginable. There's a joy that outside of the reality of God's presence is unattainable. And so here at Sukkot, we're reminded of this idea as he says, so you will rejoice in your feast. You, your son and your daughter, your slave, your maid, your Levite, your outsider, your orphan, your widow within your gate. It doesn't matter your circumstance or your, your, uh, uh, your, your level in society or whatever else. It doesn't matter the background or, or where you're at or how great things are or how terrible things are. You're going to stop for seven days, eight days if you count uh, Hoshana Rabbah. You're going to stop for, for the entire season of Sukkot and you're going to rejoice in the presence of God. And so this brought to mind the ashray that we say quite often. We say it almost every week in our services. How happy are those who dwell in your, your, your house. They are ever praising you. That's, uh, the first part comes from Psalm 84 verse 5. And the TLV, it says, blessed are they who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. But the actual Hebrew is ashray. Happy are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. And the second part of that prayer that we just said earlier this evening comes from Psalm 144, verse 15. Happy are such people. Blessed are the people whose God is Adonai. And if you pay attention to this, he doesn't say happy are those whose lives are experiencing everything going the right way. Right? He doesn't say happy are those who aren't dealing with stressful situations. Happy are those who aren't in financial dire. Happy are those who have everything going well in their life and their family is in order and nobody's looking at them going, you're crazy. Happy are they who are this or that or the other. Happy or whatever. No, he says happy are they who dwell in your house. Why? Because they are forever praising you. Our happiness doesn't dwell and our joy doesn't, doesn't depend on our scenario and our situation, the consequence of the reality we're facing here and now. Our happiness is rooted in Him. And when we are rooted in Him, we have a joy that is unspeakable. We have a joy that is unreasonable. We have a joy that is unattainable any, any other way. And so as we celebrate Sukkot, the command is to be joy, joyful, to re rejoice in his midst, to have this zaman simchatenu, this time of our rejoicing, where we stop focusing. And, and for me, this is huge, right? So I'm gonna, uh, all of you who are camping out this week, I'm gonna give you a job this weekend, all right? I'm gonna give you a task. You hear me say anything about the building, tell me to shut up. You hear me talk about any tasks that lie ahead over the next couple of days or weeks, tell me to shut up. You hear me talk about any busy work I have to do for the synagogue, tell me to shut up. Because I have to, and you have to. We have to get out of the mindset of trying to get through the day-to-day -day and not having any mental space left to find joy in his presence. Because it's there. 
And if we are walking faithfully in righteousness, faithfully in discipleship, faithfully in his presence, then there is a joy that is unspeakable, a joy that is otherwise unattainable, that is always there. We just have to learn to tap into it. We just have to be willing to tap into it. We jokingly say that uh, uh, one of the, the great super strengths of the Jewish people is the ability to kvetch, to gripe and to complain about anything, to argue about whatever. It really doesn't matter. And we will and we can and we're very, very good at it. We can take the best of scenarios and find a way to complain about it because that's just, it's just how we act. That's just who we are, right? But the reality is, is that no matter what the situation is, no matter how much there is that we think we have to complain about, there is always so much more to praise God for. There is always so much more to take joy in what God has done for us and in us. And when we can get to that place that we can live out the words of Psalm 84, verse 5, happy are they who dwell in your house, for they are ever praising you. We can find a whole new level of spirituality, a whole new level of discipleship, because we do in fact dwell in his house. We are, in fact, a part of his house because by the blood of Messiah, we have been made a living tabernacle. His presence dwells in our midst and rests in our hearts and our lives. And we have a command to take joy in that reality, no matter the consequence of life around us, whether or not we just had surgery and are battling through great pain and adversity trying to climb back up, no matter if we're dealing with a broken building that we have taken great joy in the fact that we have had. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, uh, the, the last last Saturday, uh, Yom Kippur also, so Shabbat last week in Yom Kippur, that was the first time in seven years, I think seven or eight years that we've had, uh, uh, had, to, had to operate in a shoal in a box, in other words, take everything we have, put it in a box, carry it somewhere, set it up, immediately break it back down, put it back in a box and take it away with us. It's the first one we've done that in seven or eight years. We've had our own facility for at least the last seven plus years, whether it was here or the building we were in before, we had our own facilities. And for most of the Messianic Jewish world, that's unheard of. Less than, I think it's less than 30% of the Messianic Jewish, uh, of Messianic Jewish synagogues in America have their own space, right? We're a congregation that's nine years old. Not only do we have our own place, we've had our own place for almost eight years and we've owned our own place for several years now. We've had it outright as our property for the last five, I think almost six years now. We are above and beyond in what we have to take joy in. And the fact that we haven't had to think about anything for the last seven or eight years has been a blessing. And now I kept getting stuck in this mindset of, holy cow, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do the breakdown and the setup. <laughs> But there's also this humbling reality, kind of like with Sukkot, where we build a sukkah and we dwell in it to remind ourselves to become humble, to recognize where we came from and where God has brought us to and what he has lying ahead of us. And when we do that, there's great joy that is available to us. Go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Matthew chapter 6 finds itself right in the midst of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount contains the Beatitudes and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, it contains one of the kind of preeminent Messianic Jewish passages quoted by almost every Messianic Jewish rabbi I know. Matthew 5, 17, and, and to, was it 21 or so? The, the, uh, the, the whole passage about uh, keeping the commandments that not one jot or tittle will be uh, taken away until all is completed and so on and so forth. Everybody loves to, to, to kind of hone in on that in the Messianic movement. But I want to talk about Matthew 6 here for a moment, beginning with verse 25. So I say to you, 
Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your Father in heaven feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? I can tell you, worrying over the past two and a half weeks has definitely taken hours off of my life. There's no addition there at all. Uh, it's also added a lot of gray hair, I'm sure. In my beard, there's no hair on top left to worry about. Verse 28, and why do you worry about clothing? Consider the little lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Now, if in this way God clothes the grass, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? And what will we wear? For the pagans eagerly pursue all these things, yet your Father in heaven knows that you need all these. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 2020 has been a year full of trouble for so many people. Whether we're talking about the health crisis that our, our, the, the globe has, has experienced over the last several uh, months, or we talk about the fires out west that are burning through, uh, I think it's six states now. Uh, whether we talk about the, the hurricanes that hit uh, northeast Texas and Louisiana just a few weeks back or Hurricane Sally hitting here, whether we talk about whatever you could think of, I mean, catastrophe after catastrophe after catastrophe, the economic realities of this year and so on and so forth. There is enough to worry about in and of itself. But you and I, we have nothing to worry about. We don't have to worry about when our next meal's coming. And it's not because we're rich, it's because we have a God who provides for those who call on his name. We have a God who cares for those who call on his name. But more so, we have a God who cares for all of his creation. We don't have to worry about the roof over our head. And this is something that many of us are really battling with right now, because in one way or another, maybe we don't have a roof over our head at the moment because of the storm, right? We don't have to worry about the roof over our head because you know what? The very thing that we think we have to worry about and stress over, God's already dealt with. We just have to walk in that blessing. And this isn't a name it and claim it kind of thing. This is the word of God. God has already met that need. We just have to open our hearts and our minds to see how he's met that need. We have to get out of our own way. We have to get out of our own head. We have to get out of the stress and the angst and the anxiety that goes along with the crisis we find ourselves in at this very moment and press into the presence of God. And when we do that, then we find a joy that is beyond anything we could ever imagine. A joy that is unspeakable because every need will be met. We may not know how. And you guys have heard me say this before. We think we know our needs we think we know what we have to have. We definitely think we know what we want. But God knows our needs far greater than we could ever imagine. And all he desires is for us to willingly walk in faithfulness 
with him. And watch how he meets every need we have. Because you and I can't do it on our own. The only way we can do it is to press into him and realize that we can't and he can. And so this hit me this year as I'm dealing with prepping the sermon and the service and getting everything ready and watching that mosquito randomly drop down. This hit me this week uh, as I was dealing with getting ready for service, this idea of Zaman Simchatenu, the time of our rejoicing. And what greater time is there for us as the bride of Messiah to rejoice than when we find ourselves in struggle? Because struggle is of this world. It's things of the enemy. It's not a things of God. It's not things of heavenlies. But we can rely that the things of God, the things of the heavenlies, are what are ours. The things of this world, we have rulership. We have authority over in the blood of Messiah and the power of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. We don't have anything to worry about. So if you find yourself, as I have been over the last several weeks, worrying and stressed and angry and tired and constantly running, maybe it's just time that we stop. Maybe it's just time that we take the opportunity to rejoice. Rejoice in what we have and what we have had and what we know we will have because of God's blessing and faithfulness to us. Because here's the reality and here's the truth about it. When we worry, what we're really saying is, God, we don't trust in you. We may, may not be meaning it, and it may not even be a thought that goes through our head, but it's the reality. When we worry, we take control out of God's hand and we try to put it in ours. And we tell God, we don't trust that you can really do what you say you're going to do for your faithful. But he will. And all he wants us to do is to sit back and watch because he is a God that is active in our lives, that is loving, that is caring, that is blessing each and every one of us every single day. So this season of Zaman Simchatenu, as we celebrate Sukkot, is one that for me has taken on an even greater meaning, has taken on a new reality. And I hope that as we push through this, this week, and I don't mean push through like we're just trying to make it, but as we make our way through this week, that we recognize that we have far more to be grateful for, far more to rejoice in. If for no other reason that no matter what our living experience, living situation is or our congregational situation or whatever else is happening around us, no matter what's happening, the presence of God dwells in us and we can rest in him and trust that he is in control. Happy are they who dwell in your presence, who dwell in your house, for they are ever praising you. May we find this Sukkot to be a season that brings us complete and total joy in the presence of a living God. Amen. Amen. Abraham, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Lord, I thank you that you are active, that you are moving in our midst. Father, I thank you that you take the time, that you care enough to smack me across the head sometimes and wake me up out of my own idiosyncrasies, out of my own stupidity, out of my own angst and anxiety, that you breathe new life and speak in my heart and life. And Father, I thank you that the same is happening in each and every person that is here, each and every person that is watching online, that you are in fact breathing new life into us. 
And Father, I pray that you will begin to boil over the joy that can only be found in your presence in our hearts and our lives, even here and now this evening and making our way through Sukkot, that you will begin to uh, open our hearts and our minds to the reality of taking the time to recognize Zeman Simchatenu, a time for our rejoicing, not a time for our sulking or whining or complaining or kvetching or arguing or stressing or worrying, but a time to rejoice in you. And Father, may we learn from this week and from the season of Sukkot that each and every day, whether we're under a sukkah or not, each and every waking moment that we breathe your breath of life is a time of our rejoicing. V'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen and Amen. If